Hello, everybody, and welcome to the POD cast. It's your favorite podcast about new metal. Uh, I'm John, and with me is a man who always wakes me up inside, Brian Quinby. Gross. I was gross. I didn't even <laughs> like that at all. I didn't think you would. It was funny because I, I played the piano uh, from the from the start, obviously, to sort of recreate a lot of the vibes of this album. For those of you who have not just simply read what album we're covering this month. This is episode 23, by the way. We're covering Evanescence's Fallen, their debut album. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, soft piano intros and and interludes on there. But then I realized once it started playing, it just kind of sounded like a meditation slash ASMR type thing. It didn't really I didn't really capture the Evanescence vibe, I don't think. No, not really. I, I mean, that wasn't an Evanescence song. No, no. I was just what trying mean, to find piano because the problem with the Evanescence piano songs is they start right away. Like my immortal right away goes into the like there's like one piano note. And then she's like, oh, can you? you know she does the whole thing or no that's actually that's a different song no that's bring me to life oh my immortal maybe has i don't fucking know anyway i listened to this album a bunch of times for this podcast and i can't fucking remember what song is what i would have done i i would have like if i had to do if whenever i have to do piano noise i'll be like that's how i would do a piano noise oh yeah i could have just done this this is just the my immortal opening so i could have just been like Hello, everybody. Yeah, so I was mixing up Bring Me to Life and My Immortal. Because Bring Me to Life is where she starts singing right away with the piano. How can you sing? You know, this is what people tune in for. For me doing Amy, very bad Amy Lee. I don't, you can't even call it an impression. I'm just doing a falsetto. That's all I, I can't, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I see what you're saying, dude. I see what you're saying. John, I know you're a hockey guy. Right? Mm. Mm-hmm. You hear about this? Watch this. <laughs> I know you heard about it. <laughs> this goalie? This yeah, Columbus, yeah. Ohio goalie? What's this guy up to? Is he just dying out there? <laughs> I mean, yes. Yeah, he died. Yeah, for sure. No, I did see that today and I was like, what? I thought he was I, an old guy. I no, was like, he's probably just an old guy. 24. Super, man. super sad. Yeah. Especially because it was just, uh, yeah, he got hit in the chest with a firework. That happens all the time, though, here, dude. Not like I don't know where he was. Right? He was in Michigan. Like, he was in Michigan when it happened. He was apparently at the uh, Columbus goalie coach's house, I believe. Oh, and they were shooting him off. OK, you know, uh, I, when I was growing up, dude. I went to the fireworks in Whitehall, which nobody cares, but I used to go to this neighborhood called Whitehall to go to the fireworks and fucking there was one year where somebody just got fucking hit in the chest with one of the official state fireworks that they were putting on. And then like two years later, it happened in Reynoldsburg. So like when I saw that, I was just like, people just get killed by fireworks. You like know, you're like ta- that's so those, just in my mind. Those people died in those in those yeah. scenarios. Oh yeah. wow! Okay. Yeah, Jeez. I mean, I was actually at a Columbus Blue Jackets game where somebody died. You like, were at the game when the when the girl got hit with the puck from Espen Knutson. Yes, I no. was at that game. How and have we never like talked about that before? <laughs> that is crazy. Yeah, yeah, that's I was there because I thought it was weird. I, I thought it was weird because the game, like, fucking, you know, they didn't even really stop the game. 
You know? Yeah, Brittany Cecil. Like, I, I knew her first name was Brittany. I couldn't remember her last name. Brittany Cecil. Yeah, me oh and my, my wife. God. Because my wife, uh, I'm going to say this and then it's, I'm going to instantly regret it. My wife works at Nationwide. <clears throat> and the game is at, the games are at Nationwide Arena. So that yeah. when they can't sell tickets for games, and if I'm not mistaken, they were playing like the Phoenix Coyotes, maybe? Uh, Am I could, wrong about that? I'm looking. Uh, no, it was a uh, Calgary Flames. Okay, so they were playing a team that nobody in Columbus must have cared about or something. Yeah, and that makes just, sense. We each got five that we could get five dollar tickets. So we would go to games sometime. I don't even fucking understand hockey. I would just be sitting in there like, I don't even know what's going on in here. Uh, my dad <laughs> did play hockey when I was growing up. Okay, so he knew like you went with your dad. No, no, no. He didn't. Uh, not when I was growing up, when he was growing up. And then, no, he no, would I know, but I mean, me, you went oh. to the Columbus games with your dad. So the Blue Jackets weren't here until I was already an adult. But okay, like gotcha. there was this team, the minor league team called the Chill, the Columbus Chill. Yeah. And uh, I would go to those games because those guys would get into fights all the time. Oh, there was yeah, always yeah. like a fight or some kind of shit going on there. I think I so, think they were an ECHL team, which is definitely a bit more of a fighting league. Let me see here. Columbus Chill. Yeah, they played in the ECHL, which is. Whoa, their jerseys are crazy. Very cool. Holy shit, they? those are so 90s. They look like roller hockey jerseys. I have Whoa. a Columbus Chill t-shirt uh, somewhere. Awesome. But yeah. Wow. Yeah, they, they were fucking awesome. So I did think for a period I liked hockey. And then like the Blue Jackets came and I was like, dude, hockey fucking kicks ass, dude. They get in fights all the time and stuff. I went to a Blue Jackets game. There wasn't one fucking fight. And I was just like, I don't think I like this. And then my wife was getting $5 tickets there for a period. So we went to the game. Puck goes up into the crowd. I fucking remember where it went. But then like. Nobody in the arena, you know what I mean? Like, it was just kind of like, let's get this, let's get this person out of here. That's it. We're out of here. And then I went home later that night and you turn on the news and they were like, you know, the person that got hit with the puck died. And I was like, fuck. Okay. Well, uh, that was sad, but, uh, yeah, I was at that game. That is wild. Yeah. Yeah. I, so yeah, apparently she died two days later. So so maybe that's why okay. it wasn't. So because I think my my theory anyway from being around this kind of thing and hockey in general, if she died at the game, I think you might have seen the game stopped. But they no, probably again, didn't know. They probably didn't know the extent of it until they maybe even got her out of the arena. Right. They finished. the. It, I mean, it wasn't like anything happened when we were there, because I do remember like talking. I, I remember we were all kind of sitting there like, uh, uh, I don't know. I just I, I remember thinking like, it's crazy that the puck can just like fly out into the audience. But, you know, th- then they installed the nets and it's just yeah. kind of like, oh, OK. They installed yep. the nets simply because of that incident, which is crazy. But yeah, yeah I mean. Pucks, especially behind the net. I mean, they can get out of there in a hurry. Like it is. <laughs> yeah, it's not. And especially like, like you said, I think in a lot of buildings, it's people who don't watch hockey or are not familiar with the game. So they wouldn't even know. Like, you know, I'm I've been around hockey my whole life. Like if a puck went out of the rink, even if it was traveling fast, 
I would know that it was like heading in my direction and I'd be able to theoretically protect myself. Whereas like someone who, yeah, bought a $5 ticket to the game and has never seen a hockey game in their life probably wouldn't know how to like track the puck or follow it, especially when it leaves the rink. Uh, yeah. So it is crazy that they never had nets up before that, that someone yeah. literally needed to die for that to happen. Yeah, absolutely. So, so John also here, here, I'll, I'll do one more hockey thing here. Yeah, I this is Google. This is good. I like this. We're, we're really getting into it tonight. We had a, we just <laughs> I, did the y'all want a single. We got, we went off on a tangent on that and this is good too. This is great stuff. I love hot talking hockey with my boy, Brian. <laughs> I did look up the chill and did an image search search and there's an old ad and I have to read you the copy for this oh, ad because you will love do. it. Please do. Assault someone, you get five years. In hockey, five minutes. Is this a great <laughs> game or what? <laughs> <laughs> only so, in America and only in like the early 90s could you get away with an ad like that. Hey, come watch these guys commit assault. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that what is they were unbelievable. Selling. That is <laughs> right. wild. Right, they were selling fucking violence. That was the chill's whole thing was selling violence, and I fucking loved it, man. That's I really loved hockey so much at that time. I mean, I like violence, you know that. So <laughs> I, I do know that. Yeah, this so is those crazy. are my only two hockey stories. <laughs> oh my god! And have you seen that the the text? Deep down, they're really good kids. They're just dealing with a lot of stress right now. So why not bring $5 and a valid college ID to the Fairgrounds Coliseum this Friday or Saturday at 730 and watch some talented young men try to walk the straight and narrow. And if they slip up and commit an act considered a, fel a felony in most states, well, a little time in the corner should straighten them out. You naughty boys. <laughs> what the actual fuck is this? I'm tweeting this tomorrow. It's too late. It's too late right now. But like the hockey people who follow me will lose their mind at that. That is yeah. fucking wild. <laughs> yeah, it, it was. It was. It was. A, it, those were good times, man. That's when you could just sell. You could. Yeah, just be you like, could literally just say these guys are about to commit a fucking crime. Come watch. The, <laughs> come watch them commit crime. I mean, that's what I want to see, though. Uh, did I ever tell you about the time, like, my buddy talked me into going to the truck pools, which I never wanted to go to, right? You know what a truck pool is? A truck. Oh, a truck pull? Yeah. Y yes, I do. You got you said it like pool. And I was like, truck oh, pool. Pool, pool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, where they yeah that's where they you, like, explain it to me. I, like, I think I know what it is, sort of. But you can maybe they explain it to me better. They put a fucking trailer on a really powerful truck that the weight gets heavier and heavier as it goes until the truck can't go. And whichever truck goes the furthest wins. <laughs> okay. That's so that's, and, yeah, that's basically exactly what I thought it was. Yeah. And well, I, I, well, I would, if you had, if I, like you had a gun to my head and I had to describe it, I would be like, I think it's where a truck just pulls really heavy shit, which is basically right. right? yeah right so then like my friends all my buddy was just like really into that shit, uh, into like engines and stuff so he's always trying to talk us into going but i was like nah i, I don't need to go see a truck pull a heavy weight it, it just I, I i'll just assume that 
I'm just going to assume that it can pull a very heavy weight, and that's fine with me. Spoiler alert, the trucks are going to pull some heavy shit tonight. Like, it, yeah, it's not like, uh, it's not going to be like, oh, surprise, everything was too heavy. We couldn't move it. It was crazy. Yes, absolutely. So I was like, uh, uh, I don't want to go. And then one night, he was one weekend, he was like, hey dude you want to go to the truck pools there's a motorcycle demolition derby and i was like yeah absolutely okay, i'll go to come that. on are and you kidding me a <laughs> yeah, motorcycle okay do you ha- do they build like a specialized motorcycle for this how do you have a motorcycle demolition derby without people just dying ah uh, dude you know what it is though it's a big carny trick there's such a small area for the motorcycles to drive in like they set up hay bales in sort of a small area Okay, and uh, you just couldn't get up enough speed to hurt anybody. So most of the time, the but couldn't you get hit off the bike and get run over by another bike? Yeah, but most of the time it would be like just a guy sitting there on his bike, like trying to get it started again because they drive junkers, and right. then another guy would just come across the thing and hit him, and then hit his motorcycle, and then they would both jump off their bikes and start fighting each other that's like all it was it was just guys like <laughs> fighting each other basically they would like hit somebody and then they would fight each other it was very cool i i i recommend <laughs> it but I like, feel like it growing was ju- up in ohio was a really special thing <laughs> <laughs> but it was just like one of those things where it was like man you know the, i thought i was gonna you know what you said i thought i was gonna see some people get killed or something like that yeah because that I, to me of course that's what you think right motorcycle demolition derby i think <laughs> most people who have like any intelligence at all would be like well how do you do that without someone just dying yeah yeah but it wasn't it wasn't right. it was i would do a motorcycle demolition derby under those rules it wasn't that scary you know right, right they're probably see. going like four miles an hour so right not as impressive i as see it i see like i guess uh, you know you you've talked about bringing uh stefan and i out to do some stuff in columbus and like i feel like i really want to go uh obviously to hang out with you and brad and and do some shows with you guys or whatever but also because I really uh, just I, I feel like it will help me understand you in a in a really great way, <laughs> in a greater way. Like, I feel like I mean, you and I have been doing this podcast for almost two years and we've guested on each other's shows. And like, I feel like I know you, you know, we text all the time. I feel like I know you quite well, but I do feel like being in Columbus would just somehow really give me a sense of like what you're all about. Right. I want to take you to like a show like a concert or something here because that would be kind of yeah that's the kind of thing because like basically all that cool stuff that i well it's not necessarily cool but like i don't live in groveport i don't even go i haven't been to groveport in like years now right so like yeah i'm downtown i probably live roughly the same life you live now right with, sure, with sure more drugs and stuff like that <laughs> yeah yeah more drugs more walking uh yeah definitely do your parents still live in groveport no they even uh, they they fuck they wanted to get out right. way before they actually ended up getting out they were like so, so how far is Grove Fort from Columbus? Oh, dude, 15. I can get there in 15 minutes. Okay, I just don't gotcha. go. <laughs> right. Sure, sure, sure. So I don't have kinda, any friends there anymore or anything like that. I just got right. the fuck out of there. I and feel never like back. 
my reference would be almost like, uh, like it's sort of like Scarborough is to Toronto. Like it's just like a rougher. It's like just a, it's a little bit more than 15 minutes outside of Toronto, but that's like where my dad grew up. And there's just like some, some rough parts of Scarborough that you don't want to, you don't necessarily want to be in. So I feel like that it's kind of that same that is it, am I, is it that kind no, of vibe? It's, it's just, it's almost like a rougher version of Columbus. It's just, no, Columbus is rougher. It's just a real rednecky place. Okay, you know what gotcha, I mean? Like gotcha, it's, sure. it is like, it is what people think all of Ohio is gotcha, basically. Gotcha. Like it, it is just like dudes with like blonde tobacco stained goatees that wear like white jeans and like are always right. fighting with each other in their garage and drinking like 24 packs of beer and smoking <laughs> really bad fucking weed and yeah right it's just right. we were playing curb ball the other day yeah do you guys have curb ball there curb ball no i don't yeah think we curb, have curb like the curb on the side of the road uh i i know what a curb is but i don't think we have curb ball can you explain that's that wild to me? that's why that's a growport thing uh, it might be in other places, but every time we bring it up, it's like an east side of Columbus thing because Brett knows it too. Okay, but he and grow he grew up on. We both grew up about ten minutes away from each other, basically. Right. Okay, and it's a game where you stand across the street from each other, and you take a basketball and you throw it, and it bounce. You try to bounce it off the curb so it comes back towards you. And then once it comes back towards you, you get to go to the middle of the street and bounce it off the curb until you stop. And then whoever gets to 21 first wins. That is like, and it, that is what I did most of the time when I was growing up. That drugs and cigarettes. <laughs> like, I'm That's great wild. at curveball too. I wish it was like a real sport. I, I was saying that when we, we played it like last weekend, me and Brett, and then me, and then I won, and then I played somebody else. And I was just like, man, if there was like scholarships for curveball, I wouldn't have had to fucking pay for college. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. It's always like it definitely sucks when you sort of like invent a game and then you're very good at it. And you're like, well, this is not a translatable skill at all. Yeah, it's just it's a game that's like. It's basically a game that people play in the suburbs, you know, because it is just like there's not cars driving down your street all the times and there's not that many cars parked on the street because people don't hang out with each other out there. <laughs> and right. it was just like something that two people can do. And like, uh, um, you know, that that's we did that so much. I mean, we were having tournaments and shit and yeah. like. I posted it and I posted that I was playing curveball with Brett on Twitter and like five or six people were like, oh, shit, I haven't played curveball forever. And then every single other person was like, what the fuck is a curveball? And I'm like, I thought everybody played. But I yeah, think it's I've just never, a I've never heard of game. this in my life. How do you yeah. get how do you get points? Like, what is the like, how do you win at it? So when you hit the curb, right? Like, so when you hit the curb, you have to hit the curb in such a way that the ball bounces back towards sure. you. It's like a part yeah. of the curb. And at, yeah. if the ball bounces back, you then get a point and then you go to the middle and you throw it against the curb. And if it bounces back at you, you get to do it until you miss. And then it starts over again. That's oh, how you get I, 21 I gotcha. points. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I fucking rule at it, John. If, I mean, I I tell you, if you if we ever get you out of here to Columbus, I'll, I'll I show would you love a game to play curveball. I would love to I play will, some curveball. I will fucking take you to Groveport and we'll go to some fucking heavy metal concert and it'll blow your fucking mind. You will. It be will standing. blow my mind. You, if you went to a like a new metal, like if you went to what the festival, right, the Sonic Temple Festival, yes, or yeah. or the other one they do here called Incarceration, which is <laughs> yeah. such a hard thing to say, right? Yes, very stupid. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, you know them. Well, I know you don't watch movies, but uh, Shawshank Redemption, the prison yeah. from that movie is in Ohio. Yeah, that's where they, they do the festival, right? They do this festival there, yeah, yeah. and because it's uh, not a, it's, it's not a prison anymore. No, 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 no. People yeah. just go there and pretend like it's haunted all the time. It's like, right. oh, okay. Uh, it, but this year, it's Slipknot is headlining Friday, Mudvayne Saturday, and then Sunday is Rob Zombie. Um, Sick. That's pretty good. It doesn't really look like much. I mean, Mastodon's there, which if you're a metal person, you you'll dig. Most metal people, I mean, it's pretty much agreed upon that Mastodon is like a great band by most yeah. people. Not me. So Mastodon. Yeah. So, well, yeah, I don't think you've ever heard them. Really. I have. They're not my thing. Yeah, yeah. It's not a metal no. guy. I, 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 I agree. I, I get. I know lots of people love. Them. Yeah, I've been looking at the uh, festivals this year, and the thing I'm most fucking crazy about is that I'm not. Limp Biscuit is not getting very close to me. The closest they're getting from me or the closest they're getting to us is in Indiana. So that's that that's as close as they get and it's a 5 hour drive. So yeah. it's like should I drive to go see Limp Biscuit 5 hours cuz I do really fucking want to see Limp Biscuit. I'd love to see Limp Biscuit again. Yeah. But it does feel like they're going to travel more. It like, feels it like they're feel doing like some kind of comeback it. thing right now. Yeah. I mean, they need to release an album. Although, like, you know what they could do? They don't really is, need to release an album. Right. You know what they could do, though? It, to, to get heat going out there. A motherfucking greatest hits. Yeah. With like, oh, they already did one, didn't they? Yeah, they did. But they could do. Uh, one. I mean, whatever. But then Just, you put like three Two new songs on it. on it yeah exactly exactly yeah you got to do a cover like there's got to be a good somebody on twitter actually said like i need to know if limp biscuit is gonna do oh yeah my buddy nate from the everything elite podcast was saying limp biscuit's probably gonna do like a dm like a dmx cover on oh, tour this year that's a good call <laughs> yeah for sure yeah. we need to hear fred do rough riders anthem probably yeah, I just want to know what they're I like I'm real curious about like is Fred going to rap if they do and if 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 Limp Biscuit decides to release the Stampede of the Disco Elvis which by the way I listened to an interview with Wes Borland. That's why I brought this up. Yeah. They they uh, he says they have 35 songs written. But Fred, he called him a perfectionist, which I think is a very funny thing <laughs> to yes. call Fred Durst. <laughs> I can see like, it. I, get I, what I think he's it's saying. more like he's a control freak. And I also think yeah. it could just be a way that he's like, Fred has that famous writer's block again. Remember when we read about like chocolate starfish or whatever? And it was like, Fred has writer's block. That's what it sounds like, though. It, yeah. Because the way so like 
the so in the interview some of what he talks about is like the songwriting process and there was a couple of very interesting things in there that i heard and one is that like pretty much all of the songs are working titles right like so they fucking will write a title like so west make Wes and John Otto and lethal and uh, Sam rivers. They make the fucking music and then they give it to Fred with a working title. And then he just writes the song based on the working title. Right. <laughs> Which it's a pink really snail. Funny. The pink snails in the building. Oh, you love a pink snail. Everybody's got a pink snail. Everybody's going to wail. I'm a big whale. Uh, but, but, but. Yeah. And then West what is like, be- why'd we call the song Pink Snail? Fuck. Yeah, what could be more low effort, you know? Yeah, than totally. Like, oh, I guess he wrote Boiler on there. So what if we did a song about a boiler? Yeah, so, totally. Oh, my God. But he said they have 35 songs and that they have 35 songs done. But Fred's a perfectionist, which I'm reading between the lines. And I just think that like Fred hasn't written any lyrics yet. Yes. That's- like, like maybe he like if you're Fred Durst, like maybe you don't want to make another album, even though Gold Cobra's good. It is good. So I feel like they could have another one in them. I also feel like now is the time. To do. Now's the time. People want. People are hungry for nostalgia right now. Yes. So, and they're doing these fucking respected tours. They're doing a Lollapalooza. That's yeah. not like some bullshit tour. You know. You no. Yeah. Not just anybody gets on. Well, I I don't know. I haven't looked at the lineup yet. Now it's like no, but find out but I know sucks. what you're saying. They're like they're back in the conversation. You know where where the people be, the, the people have come around on Limp Bizkit again. They're no longer a joke. They're, they're like, not on incarceration. Yeah, I think is the best way to put it. Yeah. So and they're like up there pretty high on the poster, too. I, I think a little low for my taste, but <laughs> still, I just think like, I mean, you got Limp Biscuit. They haven't done a show in a really fucking long time. You know, you got to you got to put them like in either the second biggest writing or like the first, I just think, you know. Yeah, yeah I, I hear mean, you. What? Who is Marshmallow and Illinium? Marshmallow and is the guy Rich. that wears like the big. Well, Roddy Rich has it had a number one song for like twelve weeks or whatever. Marshmallow is the guy. Marshmallow is the guy. He literally wears the giant marshmallow on his head. He's like a he's like a dead mouse style DJ, but he wears this giant white marshmallow on his head with it's got like yeah. It's got like X'd out. It almost looks like the Nirvana logo. It's got like X'd out eyes and then like a straight mouth. I've seen he's, him he's just live. He's like an EDM guy. I think I've seen him live at uh, Hannibal Burris did a pandemic show at a drive-in and he oh, had Marshmallow okay. with him. So that's, I did end up. Uh, but That's very dumb. wild. That's a wild pairing. Yeah, Marshmallow, Marshmallow plays EDM and then Hannibal Burris comes out like, Hey guys, um, I was. I know. Uh, you know that seems very funny to me, but everybody that, was. I, bu- I mean, we all left, and we were like, "That stunk, man. That show was just <laughs> not good at all. Nothing about it was good because, like, but fucking Marshmallow did a really long set, not not like two hours, but I think he did like a forty-five minute to an hour set, 
And me and Brett are sitting there like, we're fucking watching Marshmallow. Like I didn't fucking I don't I'm I don't leave I wouldn't leave the <laughs> room I'm in here now. right now. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't leave the room I'm in now to see Marshmallow. <laughs> so I guess I'm just being mean. Also, Journey is above Limp Biscuit, which I that don't doesn't know. feel right to me. I, yeah, I just don't know about that. I don't like that. I I I just feel like they're really disrespecting Limp Biscuit by putting them behind Brockhampton, I think. I guess they put them before Modest Mouse, though. Okay, but anyway, I'm hoping they're going to do an album, and I'm hoping it's good, is what I'm saying. I Like, right. as good as Golden Cobra. Yeah, me too. I agree. Uh, speaking of albums, we are ostensibly reviewing an album on this show, and that album is Evanescence's Fallen. As I said earlier in the show, it is their debut album. Came out on March 4th, 2003 on Wind Up Records. Brian, this might be the most successful record we've ever done on this show, or it's certainly in the conversation. Uh, Fallen has sold over 8 million copies in the U.S. and over 17 million copies worldwide, making it one of the top-selling albums of the 21st century. It debuted at number 7 on the Billboard 200 and peaked at number 3 uh, in June, uh, so about three months after uh, the album came out. The album was on the Billboard 200 for 104 weeks in a row, and it is only one of eight albums in the history of Billboard to spend a full year in the top 50. One of only eight ever, which is crazy to me. I mean, that's wild. Uh, so, yeah, so this is a massively, massively successful album. Uh, what else do we need to know about this, Brian? Uh, well, we, we're going to talk a little bit more about this later, but uh, obviously this album was the product of Amy Lee and a, a songwriter and guitarist, Ben Moody, uh, who actually quit the band shortly after Fallen's release in August. Him and Amy Lee had a falling out. And, uh, you know, yeah, it was unbelievable. Are you ready for this uh, This absolute ridiculousness? Here are the countries that Evanescence's Fallen went to number one in. Australia, Austria, Canada, Denmark, uh, the European album chart in general, Finland, Portugal, Scotland, UK, uh, and then, like I said, peaked at number three in the U.S., uh, number one on the Hard Rock Albums chart. It's unbelievable. It's a crazy album. Brian, uh, let's go back. Let's flash back to 2003 before we get into sort of our modern review. Uh, what was your sort of feeling of uh, uh, about Evanescence at the time it came out? I mean, oh, I, I was, I was going to say, are you, were you aware of them? But I mean, obviously you were. I mean, they're oh, yeah. a massive band. I, I mean, for me, it was like, this is too late. 2003 is too late, in, in my opinion, for for new metal, for me, you know? And I think, like, I don't know. I, I've said this before. I wasn't super open to female voices in metal at the time. And I realized that was fucking stupid. Like, I realize <laughs> now that that was fucking stupid. But at the time... I just wasn't into it, but I think what really hurt them with me is uh, the wake me up. Like wake I, me I just up it, inside to rap, and like at the time, it was just like I don't want any rap in my metal. I'm I'm on this other new shit, you know. 
Right, right. Well, so Brian, uh, that song is interesting because uh, they actually wanted Evanescence to have a full-time co-vocalist, a co-male vocalist. Um, And Evanescence said no. And uh, part of their acquiescence to the label was that they allowed there to be a male vocalist on that song. Um, And he was the lead singer of a band called 12 Stones. Um, But yeah, that was the, (laughs) yeah, that's who's on it. So that was Evanescence. This is a really weird thing to me. Um, This, this, this part of it was really interesting. I also missed one crazy stat. They spent, this album spent 43 weeks in the top 10 of the Billboard 200, which in 2003, very difficult to do. Less difficult to do now, maybe uh, when there's, you know, not as much competition on the charts. But back in 2003, that's crazy. But this one was wild to me because they were signed to Wind Up Records, which is not a big label. Um, and they really like big labeled them. So this is sort of the backup story of Evanescence. Uh, having first encountered the band in Memphis and being suitably impressed, producer Pete Matthews played their demos to his friend at Wind Up Records, Diana Meltzer. It was when Meltzer heard Maya Mortal that she became interested in signing the band, saying that she knew it was a hit. The Wind Up A&R person told uh, Hit Quarters that although they already exhibited huge talent, they were still young and needed to be developed and, quote, given the time and opportunity so that they could deliver a breakthrough sound. Once they were signed, the band were relocated to L.A., given an apartment and rehearsal space and enrolled in a gym. Lee was given acting and vocal classes. And then after almost two years, uh, producer Dave Fortman was brought in to produce their first album, Fallen. And then it says record label executives initially refused to release the album unless the band would agree to add a full time male co-vocalist when the band would not agree to the demand. The label relented and insisted only on having a male vocalist in the album's lead single. Bring me to life. Amy Lee was still not happy about this, but eventually she agreed to the decision. Um, But that just seems crazy to me. They were very young. Even when this album came out, I believe they were 20. Amy Lee was 21. I think when the album came out, Um, they're from Arkansas uh, just for references sake um but uh yeah that that part is kind of crazy to me yeah so she was just yeah she was 21 when the album came out she's born in 1981 so i mean just that's just wild to me that this label was like ah you guys aren't ready we're gonna give you a gym membership and acting classes and we'll see you in two years yeah yeah how uncomfortable do you think it was the day they brought that guy in to do the wake me up. Like that probably <laughs> wasn't a fun day at all. Like, no, he probably I mean, thought, especially like, considering get- the, yeah, the, that they didn't even want that at all. And they were like, oh, they're right. trying to usurp us. And he's probably feeling like he's probably feeling like I'm going to go in there and help these young bucks uh, write a song. You know, he's like he's like getting kind of excited and he gets in there and he's like got his notepad, his like moleskin in his hand and a pen. (laughs) And he's just fucking jotting down ideas. And then they're just like, hey, man, we just need you to say, wake me up. You know, that's (laughs) it. We don't want anything else. Well, he yeah, so it was uh it has uncredited guest vocals from Paul McCoy of the band 12 Stones. Uncredited too. That's incredible. I love yeah. that cuz I always thought that guy was in the band. The yeah, so did I. Well, well be, the reason why is because in the video for Bring Me to Life, it's just the guitar player who's lip-syncing it. So the so Ben Moody, the guy who ends up leaving the band, if you watch the Bring Me to Life video, he's playing guitar and he's the one who's just lip syncing beside Amy Lee. And he's like, wake me up. And he doesn't just do that. He has that that one brief part 
in the middle of the song, that little rap breakdown, Brian, where he's like, oh, this time I find a couldn't see back in the dark and you were there to follow me or whatever. Like he does have I, that little like rappy breakdown part. That was probably, though, they were probably like, look, we're going to we're <laughs> we're going to have to do that. Like, we're going to have to do the uh, uh, let him rap. And and Amy Lee was like, fucking no. OK, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. like, I just want to do like a three line rap. And she's like, oh, fine. I mean, it is a hit. You, you got to give the guy credit that I do not know if I think this this band gets where they are initially without the the wake me up guy like it's, i mean it's a definitely lot. a very cool part of the song like i think you can easily make the case that that's the best part of the song and i think people are just a lot more like like i think people are were a lot more accepting of of like the other songs because they were because th- i i mean i'll tell you what i would have been like if i had heard this song i'd have been like Oh, I got to buy this album here. The rest of this rap stuff on there, you know, the, I got to hear more of this wake me up guy. And it just feels like the wake me up guy, like it sets up an expectation that there is this vibe throughout the whole album. Yes. That would get people to buy the album, but the vibe is gone. It's there's no such thing as that vibe. Well, Brian, 17 million people bought this album. So, you know, I know I the, mean, vibe works. the vibe worked apparently. But uh, yeah, I mean, so but they bought so, the album and then we're probably like, where's the raps at? Yeah, but they the album re-peaked when My Immortal came out. Right. So like my like that, I think, was part of it. Like, I guess My Immortal wasn't released as a single till December. So maybe not. But I feel like that was. Yeah, I, I don't know. Th- to me, this is such a weird band. Um, like, it's weird that this album was so popular. Like, it doesn't... When you listen to it, you wouldn't... It's a good album, I think. But, like, it's not one that you listen to it and you're like, oh, man, I bet this sold a shit ton of copies. You know? Like, it does Like, it, yeah, it's in, the, it's in the top selling albums of this century, of the last 21 years... And I don't think hearing it, you're like, fuck, what a bunch of hits. This thing is crammed with hits. I mean, it just it's just interesting to me. But I for me, I was a different time as you. I mean, I was 18 when this came out. But like, I loved this. I loved this album uh, right away. Bring Me to Life was like, I just thought that was about as good a song as you could ever make. Really, it had everything I like. I've always liked female vocalists. I was sort of the opposite end of you. Um, and I loved the sort of interplay on the song between her and the guy. And, uh, yeah, I just, I thought this, and then I bought the album and I thought it had a lot of like quite good songs on it. And it was, this was in like regular rotation for me, but I think part of it too, is I was also at the age where, um, like Amy Lee being attractive probably helped as well. Um, and I don't, I'm not even sure. Well, whatever, we don't have to debate her attractiveness, but I think at the time this was like exactly the type of woman that I was into where I was like, holy shit, like this woman can sing. She's in like a rock band. She's hot. Like that definitely, I think, played into it a little bit for me, too, where I was like, fuck, this is a cool. I love this from from front to back, whereas you would have been like 24. You're probably a little bit over that sort of aspect of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, I, I think I I was into other stuff, you know, by that. Like, I'm in. Right. I'm, I'm listening to all kinds of other stuff at that point. But yeah, yeah. 
I I think obviously like I wasn't watching as much MTV in 2004 and you know if this video came on I would have just turned the channel. I got to tell you I I am just looking at her right now and it's like the first time kind of like <laughs> like for real like really looking, you know, because I just was just so not interested in this band. I I I I think like after listening to the album, I was like, I do think I, I kind of like the singles here. So yeah. somewhere in my mind, probably at that time, I also liked the music, but this is not something that I would have uh, uh, given, like given myself the allowance to have. It is like, also just like, I think you can only do so many years of all sad music i right. think where it's like this album is a huge bummer which is fine i like bummer albums i listen to all kinds of bummer albums i used to sit in my work van and listen to karma police and fucking cry when i was a cable guy <laughs> <laughs> Arrest so, like, this man. He's installing cable every <laughs> that song, day. man. It's a great that song. song. Oh no, no, it wasn't Karma. Please, fuck! I'm so stupid. It was no surprises. Sure, no surprises is the song. I would sit in my van and listen to no surprises and just be like, "This is my life for the rest of my life. I'm gonna be sitting in this fucking van." So it's not like I didn't like like sad music. Yeah, but this still felt like young people sadness yes where, for like, sure the, the no surprises is a kind of sadness that you don't understand until you're in your 20s for sure well i think too like so so the the sort of the backstory is they met in 1995 uh at a christian camp so uh of by course. they by they i mean amy lee and ben moody um so a lot of these songs were written when they were very young um she talks about bring me to life i read in in some of the interviews we read she talks about writing that song when she was like 18 years old um if you read some later interviews with her she talks about how these songs were sort of like her diary entries and she sort of cringes at listening to some of these lyrics now it's weird because i think at the time, I didn't realize how young they were or how young she was because she didn't look that young. I think with the whole like goth makeup and just the kind of way she presented herself. Like I, I, I feel like at the time I probably would have felt like she was like in her late 20s or early 30s. I would have never thought like, oh, this is a 21 year old like making this music that she wrote when she was like 18. You know, it's got to. It, it, it's it doesn't feel that young, but I agree that if you pay attention to the lyrics in some cases uh, on the, on the record. And I, I don't think it's true of the singles. I think for the most part, those are pretty like strongly written uh, from a lyrical perspective, but certainly some of the deeper cuts uh, are a little bit. Uh, yeah. They're a little bit simple and a little bit diary entry ish. I just ha had a, a conversation about this recently, but I think that we all think 
that the people, the musicians that maybe we idolize or, or that even we just enjoy that are like doing stuff that we appreciate, we think they're older because we don't want to feel like we let our life pass us by. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah, that's definitely part I was, of it. I, I, you know, like I said, I went through this big ICP binge, binge thing when I was on vacation, right? And uh, I was listening to Violent J's book, and he said he's 46. Or I was listening to a podcast or something. He said he was four. I found out he's 46 years old. Now I'm 42 years old. And at the time, you couldn't have told me that we were that close in age when right. I was just looking up to those guys. And it's just like, they're just so much wild. They're so wildly more successful than I am that maybe I needed them to be like 15 right. years right. older than me. It's definitely like you definitely get that in sports for sure. And I know you're not a big sports guy, even though we let off this podcast with 10 minutes of, of puck talk, but uh, the like you, if you're a sports person, person and you grew up like playing sports and 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 even if you didn't play at that high of a level it's definitely a very weird feeling when like professional athletes are younger than you and they're like really good and, and, and yeah. like as you get older it doesn't matter like I'm 35 now so like an 18 year old being really good in the NHL or whatever that doesn't like phase me anymore but when you're like 21 and an 18 year old like Sidney Crosby's two years younger than me. So when I was like 23 and Sidney Crosby was 21 and the best hockey player in the world, I was like, fuck, fuck off. You know, you're yeah. just like you that it really hits you hard. Like because, you you know, like you you figure out when you're like 12 or 13 or 14 or even younger, you figure out you're not going to make it. But there's just something about that specific time in your life where you're like, Oh, I'm really not going to make it. Like <laughs> you're just like, Oh my yeah. God, this guy's younger than me and he's unbelievable. And so, yeah, I think that's part of it. I also think when you're 18, anyone who's over 20 is like 27 to you. You don't uh, exactly. have this, like you don't have this concept of like 21. It's like, Oh, they're 21. They're, they're old, you know, like three years, like you and me are like seven years apart, but I don't think of you as like, that much older than me. But when I was 18, if you were 25, I would have been like, holy shit, look at this fucking old guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And also like the the thing with me is is always like just finding out Jonathan Davis is like a lot older than me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like and and also it's like in the back of my mind when I was a kid I knew I wanted to be some kind of an entertainer. You know, I want to be an entertainer. I want to, I want to entertain people. I want to stand on stage. I have this need to be on stage in front of people and stuff like that. And like, when you see somebody that's only like one year older than you doing sold out arena shows, you're kind of like, whoops, <laughs> I, should, <laughs> yeah. I might maybe should have started on this a little earlier. <laughs> Totally. Oh, even for me, like I started stand up when I was 25 and that even that felt like, well, I should have started, you know, because there were people who were really good. They started when they were like 18, you know, and you're like, oh, my God, like 
there or or 15, you know, like one of the best comedians in Vancouver yeah. right now, Sophie Buttle, friend of a uh, friend of Block Party, friend of ours. Uh, like she's 25, I think, or 26, but she started doing stand up when she was 15. So like when she was 20, yeah. she was already like amazing at it. Um, and yeah, so it's just like a weird, yeah, it, it's totally a weird thing. And I also think too, with Evanescence, at least, or what I remember, I don't remember them being young as being like part of the conversation. And I think it's probably because they were making rock music, but I feel like when you have like a, you know, like a teen pop star or whatever, you know, their age is very much a part of the general conversation. It's like, wow, can you believe how successful they are? And they're only 15 years old or whatever. Whereas like, I never, I don't remember Evanescence ever having I don't remember that ever being the story around them. Like, wow, they're so successful and they're only 21. Like, I don't think I ever remember that being a part of the story. No, no. And, and it, yeah, no. And it's really just like the only reason we, I would even say that it's young is that like, I have, um, I'm sorry. Is that like, uh, I'm 42 now. Like I'm listening to these lyrics and I'm like, this is, this is some shit that like a 15 year old would say. <laughs> yeah. And literally it basically was, it was like songs yeah. they wrote when they were teenagers. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's for, sure. I, I mean, for sure. And I'm, I'm yeah. The whole time I was listening, if you know what it reminds me of is when we did Lincoln park hybrid theory. Right. And I was just like, this is just like this not all metal or new metal has to be made for me. And this is just one of those things that's not <laughs> right. I think too, though, like when you, I think when you listen to this at that age and we've sort of brought this up on the show before, I think there's a part of you that gets transported back to that moment, you know? So it's like, obviously like Limp Bizkit is a good example, right? Like Nookie on its face, the lyrics of that song are fucking insane. Like they're, they barely make sense and they're stupid. It's a stupid thing to be like a 35 year old man in your car being like, I did it all for the Nookie. So you can take <laughs> that cookie and stick it up. But like when you listen to those albums, when you're younger, you don't, I feel like I almost don't even pay attention to the lyrics because it doesn't matter. It's like, I know I like those songs and I know that I enjoy it. And I think like you can just transport almost in your mind. You can like get back to a time where it's easy for you to remember that you liked that stuff. And I think, and I've, I've been guilty of this on the, on this podcast as well. When we've listened to stuff that I didn't listen to in that time period, it's really hard to put your mind in that space. It's hard to, uh, you know, because because you can't listen to it with a with an 18 year old lens or a 21 year old lens. You can only listen to it with your 42 year old lens or your 35 year old lens. And you it's way harder to put yourself in that mindset, I think, because like listening it, to this album, I didn't the lyrics didn't stick out to me like I still remember. So I didn't I didn't listen to all the songs in 2003 when I loved it. Like I was I liked more than the singles, but there were definitely songs on here I skipped, but I still knew like some of the lyrics and it didn't feel weird to me or it didn't stick out to me that like, wow, these lyrics are really sort of juvenile or immature. Yeah, I, I think yeah, at the time I would I I don't think even back then I would have thought these lyrics were juvenile and immature. I Yeah, I that's just what don't, I'm saying, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, but I mean, man. <laughs> yeah, some of them are bad for sure. Yeah, but I mean, this is I it's really weird, right? Because I feel like when we do singles for the all want a single, I would say we're 90% positive on yeah. those songs. Yeah, for right? sure. Like we it's because we listen to one song maybe twice. You know, I the reason I think I'm more positive on them is because I listen to them like five minutes before we start the podcast. Yeah. I just fucking I listen to it and then I, I'm just like, that's the freshest thing in my mind. So it's easiest to talk about it. And like, I think there's something to be said for like most of these albums that we've done, all of them. I'll say that all of the albums we've done has like two or three good songs on them yeah but you can't give an album like a glowing review if it has nine bad songs on <laughs> yeah, it. yeah for sure what i think too in the case of y'all want a single a lot of times we're probably reviewing the band's best song or close to their best song right so like if someone said to us, I want you to do a bring me to life, y'all want a single, we would probably both be like, wow, this is great. What a what a great song. Holy shit, this whips, you know, but then, yeah, when you have 40 to 70 minutes to listen to a band and really hear like everything they have to offer, it definitely skews your opinion a bit. Yeah. And this is like the other thing is, is this is the third band with a, a female lead singer. If I'm not mistaken, uh, we've done Flyleaf and uh, Kitty. I'm tr- Kitty, yep. And these are, uh, I I hate to say this, but those songs had these songs don't feel like metal, you know, like the lyrics. Yeah, this isn't this isn't metal to me. Yeah, those bands, I I I don't know. Like I I know that Kitty were really young when they wrote those songs but yeah. those songs have some really mature subject matter and uh i think they're like i don't know i think they're better than these songs i will say that and and flyleaf i felt i i did not think when i listened to kitty or flyleaf uh or as a matter of fact any any band other than linkin park <laughs> That they had immature kind of lyrics. I think this and Linkin Park are the two bands where I'm like, okay, these are like, this is like some immature like lyrics. Yeah. This is somebody that should do, should do. <laughs> that makes me sound like such a dad, a person that is going to, they're going to find themselves in like five years. And uh, now I'm almost curious to listen to new Evanescence because I think like I I can't I imagine it's so much more grown up. Yeah, I would assume so. I mean, Amy Lee's now married and has a child and she's also done some solo stuff. Um, so that could be potentially interesting, too. I think with Flyleaf, the, the problem wasn't so much the immaturity. It was the god the godliness of the lyrics and flyleaf that was the issue not uh yeah not the immaturity but yeah i hear i hear what you're saying like can you think of some examples from this record that really like stuck out to you as being sort of uh like childish or or like lyrics that kind of took you out of the listening experience 
Because to me, I mean, like I said, I, I have a hard time with it because I feel like when I listen to this, I just remember being young and listening to it and, and enjoying it. I mean, I, I want to say, like, I enjoyed it too. Like, I listened to it three times in a row. And first of all, if I don't like an album, it's two. I, I mean, I will, I will never do just one. Yeah, but if it yeah. just feels like I can't fucking do this right now, I I <laughs> yeah. I just I don't want to live that life today. Um, I can see I'm, I'm, this album having like a, almost a similar quality to Linkin Park for you where it does. It's where where well, well, it was obviously the lyrics, but then I also think like this is pretty easy to listen to in a lot of ways. Like it's not it's not challenging. No, yeah. The songs are well written, you know, like it's not something like to me, the more difficult albums we've done are stuff like crazy town where it's like, it's almost like offensive how it just like, it just doesn't stop. It's, it's like, it's yelling at you the whole time, you know, not, not that crazy town has a lot of yelling, but that's what it feels like. It feels like crazy town. The whole time you have it on, it's like, Listen to me, 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 listen to And it's like 70 minutes of that. And you're like, God damn it. By the time you get to 50 minutes, you're like, fuck. Whereas like with Lincoln Park and and this album too, I think even if you don't like these bands, if you listen to the album, it's not like annoying or it's not like objectionable in a way where you're like, holy Christ, like this is brutal through. I think I know. Because I said this earlier to my wife when I was talking about this, and I think I know what I'm trying to articulate here. What I'm trying to articulate is that maybe some of these songs sound like they were written for a woman by a man. And I know for a fact that some of these songs were written for a woman by a man. The Ben right. Moody uh wrote some of these songs he's he's got songwriting credits and when you read about how the band was put together and when you read amy lee's thoughts on this album she even kind of gives you the impression of like yeah i you know i just sound kind of weak in that album like i'm constantly waiting for somebody to come and save me and somebody to come and help me it's not like coming from a place of of like power and that's something we've always said about corn is that like he is also going through hell or whatever he's sad those those songs in that first album at the very least you're not like this guy's you know this guy must be having a good life or something like that. You're like, fuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Man. This guy's really going through some shit. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's sad and he but he's taken like a position of like I'm going to fuck being sad. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I fuck this. I, I you know, you could don't call me sad. I'm not sad, you know. But she takes the position of just like I'm sad. And it's not something that I recognize in metal really yeah yeah and it's like the it's it's not it just feels like in some of the song like in 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 bring me to life even it's just all like save me and stuff like that and they give the dude the power stuff you know yes yeah They, they like brought a dude in for one song and they let him be the one that's like oh i'll save you you know yeah 
Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. Definitely. And I, I think like Amy Lee, amazing vocalist. I mean, I think like she shreds, she shreds all over this thing. I mean, I know you're not a big female vocal fan, but I mean, no, that's not true. She's, I wish she would scream a little bit. Okay. I think. But not, I mean, I listen to all kinds of female vocalists now at the right. time I was not right. But, right. But I just mean, I mean, she's an amazing singer, but I yeah. do think that her voice though does have a sort of fragile quality to it already. Like I think the way that she approaches singing does have that sort of fragile quality to it, which makes the lyrics maybe hit even more in that sort of direction. True. I would like her to scream sometimes like, yeah, yeah. Hey, fuck you. You know, but I, I know <laughs> she's actually their church. latest single. Their latest single is <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> hey, fuck you. You know, uh, no, but yeah. I know she went to church and all and, and all that stuff too. Like, but this album doesn't read as Christian at all. No, so they, they I, as actually, a matter of fact, I didn't even know that that they were Christians. Yeah, so so she's maintained from the beginning that even though she is a Christian, they're not a Christian band. And some people speculated at the time that part of their success was that they were marketed as a Christian band. Um, and this is sort of the 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 sort of summary of it on the Wikipedia, which I think is basically, I read some articles about it too. And I mean, this is pretty accurate. Evanescence was originally promoted in Christian stores. Later, the band made it clear. They did not want to be considered part of the Christian genre, a uh, Christian rock genre. Sorry. Terry Hemmings, CEO of Christian music distributor, Provident expressed puzzlement at the band's about face saying they clearly understood the album would be sold in these Christian music channels. After many Christian stores began to remove the band's music from their shelves, Wind Up Records chairman Alan Meltzer then issued a press release in April 2003 requesting formally that they do this. In 2006, Amy Lee told Billboard that she had opposed the Christian band identification from the beginning, calling it a Ben thing. Uh, in a 2011 interview with the San Antonio Current, Lee reaffirmed her Christian faith, but once again stressed that Evanescence has, quote, never been a Christian band. And I agree, like there's not, aside from Tourniquet, where she just, but she doesn't even really make it religious. She just says, my God, my Tourniquet. But it doesn't, yeah. you know, but that's not, I don't really think other than that. Yeah, it doesn't, it's certainly, you know, I mean, we we listen to Flyleaf almost all the Flyleaf interviews we found were with Christian websites. Like when, when a band is a Christian band, you fucking know they're a Christian band. I mean, Ben's a hustler. I, the, the from everything I've read about this Ben guy hustler. I mean, and I just looked up his net worth. He's worth $10 million. Of course he so, is. He I found mean, he's it. Written, a, he, he's, he wrote, he has 50% of the writing credit on an album that sold 18 million copies. Of course, yeah. he's worth $10 million. He's rich as hell, man. And he's, and he's a songwriter, like, you know too. What? He's done songs for like Kelly Clarkson and Daughtry and Carrie Underwood. And like he's yeah, he's not hurting for cash. That's for sure. right. And he's a guy that's like he he maybe I, I you know, I if you're going to take Amy Lee on her word, which I, I tend to believe he was just he was going to make it no matter what. That guy. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think I don't know if I get the the vibe from her that I get is like, I just want to make some cool stuff, you yes. know, which I mean, they all say that. 
but you can get the guy, sense like they met when they were 15. You can get the sense that he was like determined to make it. And he saw Amy Lee and heard her sing. And he was like, this is how I'm going to make it. Yeah. And he, he, I mean, it seems like he was the one steering them in the more commercial direction. Cause For man, sure. this album is so, I mean, every song on this album could be a single and could have been a fucking hit. Every single song on this. Totally. I think. Oh, yeah. 100%. They didn't have to work hard. I mean, obviously, Bring Me to Life is going to be the one that you release first because it it's the most like what they're playing on the radio. And also, I think it would have been hard for them to get airplay on hard rock radio with anything else first that hard rock radio followed them because of bring me to life hundred percent. And that's how they got on the radio. Like it, that song's a fucking hit. I'm, I don't it's know. An, it's a great that doesn't song. Like it. It's a yeah, great, I, I mean, and listening back to it, when you, when you think about it, even from a critical perspective, like there are so many like little touches in that song. And like, it is such a well-produced and well-crafted song. And I think I didn't really realize it. Like, I just knew I liked it. But I think in listening to it for this podcast, you really realize like that was a song that was like written down to the second, down to the note. Like there's so many little touches in it that just make it so good. I mean, yeah, it's it's an absolute. If you're if you're making a list of the best new metal songs, it has to be that that song has to be on it. And it's just a perfect like here's here's this is just like Linkin Park. And this is the perfect album for a teenager. I Just any teenager sitting in their room listening to this. Oh, it's yeah. going to be like, oh, it's like those memes that there are out there where it's like, if you knock me down, I get up three times or I'm damaged, but I'm fucking, you know, still able to love and stuff like that. Totally. Totally. And like yep. those are made for certain certain types of people like like teenagers and shit. And this album is just a whole bunch of like this is how this fucking album is how I felt when I was a teenager. Just fucking totally helpless. Just like fucking everything's everything's fucked up. My life's fucked up. You know, it couldn't get worse than it already is, which is like a crazy thing to think. But uh, but yeah, this album like really it, it took me back to the feelings that I had when I was uh, when I was like a, a miserable, sad teen. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, it, yeah, like you said, I think most of the songs on here could could be singles, like even listening to it. There are some songs that hit harder than others, but there wasn't a song that I thought was bad on here. Nope. Um, like Haunted is maybe a little weaker. I could have done without Hello when you already have two versions of My Immortal on the record. I probably don't need a third piano ballad on here. It's <laughs> a Ben thing. Um, that was a Ben that's thing. That's a Ben thing. That's a Ben <laughs> thing, babies. Like, we better get... I will say, though, the full band version of My Immortal slaps. To me, that's the that's the official version of the song for me. Like, it's, it's so... Because it... The band doesn't even come in until, like, two thirds of the way through the song. It's not like they're there the whole time. They just add like one little sort of goth metal, like flourish to the end of the song that for me really ties the whole song together. So to me, that's the definitive version of my immortal 
Tourniquet might be my favorite song on the record other than Bring Me to Life. And I didn't know it was a cover. It was a cover of a song by a Christian death metal band called Soul Embraced that the drummer for Evanescence, Rocky Gray, was in that band. So he was like, ah, you know, I'm in a I'm in a Christian death metal band. You guys should do this song. Actually, I think it's pretty sick, but I love Tourniquet. I I think it's a great song. I think it's time we make a declaration about Evanescence. They're a Christian yeah. band. Yeah. <laughs> they don't they, get they to decide. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but they don't actually. I I firmly believe you don't get to decide it. We decide it. Not me and you personally, but the, the people decide. Creed's a Christian band. Creed has said a million times, we're not a fucking Christian band, but we all fucking decided they're a Christian band. Yeah, you name yourself Creed. I mean, what, what the fuck do you expect? We're going to call right. you what we want. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we listen to we listen to Flyleaf talk about how it's like, well, I wouldn't just call us a Christian band. And it's like, nope, you're a Christian band. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If you don't want to be considered a Christian band, your origin story shouldn't include going to church camp when you're 18. (laughs) Yeah, no, I agree. I I, I'm with you, man. I mean, yeah, it's uh, it, it. yeah, but you're it's weird because the album doesn't feel Christian. I mean, we talked about that already, but mm. but like I I get I guess it's Christian in the sense that like Christian kids would have felt okay listening to it. Oh, I guess yeah. that's like to me it, it's it's true of like if you make a hard rock or metal album that a Christian kid f- f- hears and is like, "You know what? My parents would probably be cool with this." That makes you a Christian band. I think automatically you are a Christian band then. You know what you have to do? If you want, if you're instead of fucking going out and saying we're not a Christian band, despite the fact that they sell our records at Christian bookstores, uh, you have to put a fucking or a shit in one of the songs. You just you cut like it's kind of like an it, you have to do that. It's like how when a cop, when you find out a guy's a cop by making him do a little bit of cocaine, it's the same thing as that. Like, I don't, you're a Christian until you curse. I'm sorry. Yeah. And then once they curse, then you can't, because you could, for the rest of your fucking career, you could point at that, that one song and be like, I said shit though in that song. And that's a cuss. And Christian bands don't do that. That's a cuss, baby. Don't talk to me about being a Christian <laughs> band. I said shit on there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you probably want to use fuck. F- yeah, fuck you gotta, or, I think you got to go fuck, you know. Well, there's got to be a, a, you know, you could... S- you can no, say you Satan know what it has is? good ideas or something, or I don't no, know. You know what it is? Just having grown up around Christian kids being younger and stuff. I think if you had a song about premarital sex and how it's sick, like really good. That is the true. Like if you had a song that could easily be interpreted as like, you should for sure have premarital sex. Yeah. Then that would be that. That's the one where you'd be like, okay, they're definitely not Christian. They're talking about that. I mean, you can say whatever the fuck you want as a band. All I'm saying is, is that it's the people who decide and we, yes, me and sure. John are throwing our fucking votes into evanescence a christian band yeah this is a christian band i i mean that is a christian band though or fuck i'm sorry i called you brett that is fucking (laughs) i gotta say it's a high compliment that is fucking humiliating that 
they had to fucking send a letter to the Christian bookstores and be like, hey, we don't want you to carry our album anymore. Yeah, that's, stop this. That's stop a little this shit. humiliating to me. That's like a weird fucking move. Yeah. Yeah. It is like, weird. You don't want that paperwork out there. You don't want people knowing you filed that paperwork. Like, so this is a quote. I found another little bit about it. This is a quote from the letter. Uh, in April 2003, Windup Records chairman Alan Meltzer sent a letter to Christian radio and retail outlets explaining that, quote, despite the spiritual underpinning that ignited interest and excitement in the Christian religious community, Evanescence were a secular band and as such <laughs> view their music as entertainment. Meltzer also wrote that even the label strongly feels that Evanescence no longer belong in Christian markets. Fuck, dude. That's I such like, a weird I mean, thing to think about that. We, we got to write a letter and be like, hey, look, we know you Christian kids are psyched about this album, but uh, stop it. This is yeah. Satan's music, bitch. <laughs> yeah. Stop fucking telling everybody that we're Christian. OK, stop telling everybody that we love Jesus Christ. OK, we we don't want your fucking nasty money. I mean, that's kind <laughs> of fucking badass. It, 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 like if if that's a point in the non-christian band category because yeah. no christian would ever send that letter out no they would like because they would want the cash how could you not that's a great market to tap into yeah but it is okay i'm coming back around because i do <laughs> think that's a badass move i think that is a fucking now that i've really... read the actual letter you're like okay actually you know what they're not a christian band it's such a funny fucking thing to do. I've never heard of anybody doing that. No, ever. me neither. Me neither. If this is a fucking record label, their whole function is to fucking make money. And he's just like, but not Christian money. Like the <laughs> yeah. thing about Christians is they are the easiest people to turn off and offend and get to boycott you. Yeah. You, you, you don't have to fucking do anything to make they get mad about Harry Potter, which, yeah. you know, J.K. Rowling's not a good person, but Harry Potter in itself, I don't think is super offensive. <laughs> no. Well, there's it's just the witchcraft, Brian. That's the whole, you know, we had the whole. Well, listen, we settled this in the 1600s in Salem. OK, we don't <laughs> yeah. need I don't need any more of this witch talk in my kids bedtime stories uh yeah, yeah it is i i agree though it's kind of a badass move and i like that it definitely came from amy lee who i've decided i like a great deal uh after like, reading some of these interviews and stuff it definitely came from her being like ben is ben was trying to make that dirty christian money and amy yes. lee was like no Fuck that shit. We're not because she knew like, it's like you said, it's like, I think Amy Lee wanted to be cool. She's like, if we're a Christian band, people will not think we're cool, even if we're getting all this, this Christian money. And so she was like, stop this. We got to be cool. It's better to be cool and not seen as a Christian band, even though I'm a practicing Christian, than it yeah. is to admit like, no, we're a Christian band. This is a Christian album. I mean, it, you don't it's it's a weird thing when you're in a rock band because you don't have to fucking like you don't have to call yourself a Christian plumber if you're a plumber or anything like that. I mean, yeah. you can. There are a lot of Christian like, yeah. contractors here. You of see course. them all the time in truck drivers. But yeah. like Jesus wasn't <clears throat> the only carpenter. Call me one eight hundred. 
but you don't have to fucking declare like that. But if you're in a band, if you're in a band and you fucking all you have to say is like, oh, I met this person at church and they were like, this motherfucker's preaching to me and I don't like it. This is Christianity. I'm I'm catching you. And it is because probably at least for me, I wouldn't want to be considered a guy that listens to a christian band I, that no, might be why sure. i didn't actually get into evanescence at the time more than the 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 female vocalist thing even would have maybe been that you know you heard because i do remember because i i i was gonna bring up that aren't they christian i think when we were doing when when we did this show and now it's such a, what a fucking weird thing. And, and there's not a lot of goth Christians either, which that's no. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's different. Goth it's Christians cool. that wrote a fucking letter to Christian bookstores and say, get your name out of my mouth. Yeah. So you've come all the way around. <laughs> my you're, you're back. You're back on the side of, uh, you're back on the side of the, of the, of the heathens. Yeah. But I, I mean, I still feel like even bring me to life is Christian sound. I always right. felt wake like me that up song. inside, wake me up the, you know? Yeah. It's got that POD yeah. alive feel, right? Like I feel yes. so alive for the very first time, you know, it's, you're like, Oh, this could be about anything, but then you're like, but it could also be about God. <laughs> God, this band does it. That's uh, I, I, I'm going to say, and you know, your mileage may vary or whatever on what like the coolest thing any one of these bands that we've ever talked about has done. But I'm going to put right up there at the top of my list, sending a letter to Christian bookstores and telling them not to sell my shit. It's good. It's very like, good. That's up there. I Because, you know, what else are the other stories, right? Like, we don't talk about groupie stories, but that's most of the stories that are told. And that shit's not cool. Disturbed yeah. throwing dildos at, at Kitty. Uh, Kitty. That's not very cool. Even though yeah. Fallon said they thought it was cool when it happened. Like, they thought it was a big funny thing. So yeah. what? It, maybe it was something that happened within the relationship, you know, I feel like, like we had they some were good, in a van. Yes. Yeah. We had some good Sully. I feel like there were some good Sully stories just cause he's a crazy guy and says dumb shit. Yeah. But he didn't have, he wasn't like, I never see Sully and think he's cool. Oh, I never no, see no, no, that. no, no, not cool. No, no, no. And probably we would have to say that the coolest possible guy in this whole world and is Chino from the death yeah. in new Ray. metal. Yeah. Yes. The, he's the, nobody could ever be cooler than him in new metal or hard rock. The whole genre, the whole thing, right? He's the coolest one, but he hasn't really done anything cool. Yeah. He he's just a boy. He's a boring guy. He's married. <laughs> he smokes weed. He skateboards. Yeah. 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 But that move right there, that's a legendary fucking move. I feel like almost you could write one of a, like a movie about Evanescence now <laughs> with that as part of it. Like, I yes, feel like they're sure, interesting enough. Well, first of all, after reading the the articles you sent me, I know they're interesting enough for a movie. Well, but yeah, I would go see it. I would go let, see the Evanescence oh, movie. Me too. 
Evanescence up in smoke or whatever. Um, yeah, let's talk about speaking of letters. Let's talk. Let's talk about the Ben Moody letter, because I know you loved this and I did, too. Uh, so we've, we've sort of referenced this before. So the band started uh, with Amy Lee and Ben Moody. And then Ben Moody basically left the band at their absolute zenith. Uh, he quit the band in August 2003 in the middle of tour. Um, he just completely uh, walked off uh, from the band. I'll give the exact story here. Uh, on October 22nd, 2003, Moody left the band during the European tour for Fallen, reportedly because of creative differences. In an interview several months later, Amy Lee said, we'd gotten to a point that if something didn't change, we wouldn't have been able to make a second record. This became a point of confusion as Moody and Lee stated on the Fallen album liner notes that they were best friends. Lee said it was almost a relief that Moody left because of the tensions created within the band. During an interview, Lee has said, I don't know. I just think it's exactly what I would have expected. He's more about the kind of pop influence sort of thing. And also, you know, about being commercial and selling albums. That's the part we often disagreed on. I wanted to do the more artistic weird thing and he'd want to do the thing that people would want to hear. Um, and then, yeah, she, she also talks about that. I have this MTV article that wasn't that great, uh, but she literally says in the article, uh, most people assume just from looking at us and our music that Ben being the guy in the band is responsible for all the rock music and all the sappy stuff comes from me. That just isn't true. Ben's the one who wrote my immortal. He's more about the pop influence and being commercial and selling albums. That's the part we also disagreed on. I want to do the more artistic weird thing. And he would want to do the thing that people would want to hear. So Ben Moody doesn't say anything about this. Uh, he just leaves the band. He quits in the middle of a European tour. He literally woke up. They woke up one morning in Berlin. He had packed his shit and left. The band's management informed them that he had left the tour. He didn't even tell the band that he was leaving or anything like that. He does not say anything for seven years. Uh, and then it seems like Evanescence had a very popular message board called Evboard, uh, which both Amy Lee uh, and other members of the band posted on and Ben Moody would post on occasionally. And on August 24th, 2010, he posted an open letter on Evboard explaining what actually happened when he split from Evanescence and asking fans not to cause drama anymore. And basically he started a new band called we are the fallen, which to me, if you're starting a new band and you don't want to be the guy from Evanescence, maybe don't include the word <laughs> fallen in your band name. That's just me. Maybe that's just me. It's like, hey, I wish people would stop asking me about Pink Floyd. What's my new band called? Blue Floyd. But that's besides the point. It's not a big deal. Uh, you know, it's very strange. But anyway, he got mad because he came out with this new band. We are the fallen and a bunch of the YouTube comments on the music video for their first single were people just speculating or making some kind of comment about Evanescence. Uh, he said out of 4,100 comments, 4,000 of them were nothing but the same comments regurgitated over and over again, engaging in a ridiculous. We are the fallen versus Evanescence slash Ben versus Amy debate. The only motivation I have to set the record straight after all these years of silence is the refusal of such a huge number of Evanescence fans to move on and focus on what is important, even though the only two people involved in the split of Evanescence moved on years ago. Uh, this is a very long letter. Brian, I feel like you really picked out some some good parts of this that you enjoyed that you want to 
highlight for the listeners. There's a lot of great shit in this. It's it's fucking long. It's got to be like 2000 words. So here's the thing. First off, I want to say naming your band. We are the fallen is is not like if you called it Pink Floyd, but you named your new band Blue Floyd. It is like <laughs> saying it. it is like if you used to be in Pink Floyd and then you make a band where you're like, no, seriously, I was the real Pink Floyd. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I was I was really on the spot there. I agree that Pink Floyd and Blue Floyd wasn't my best work, but I am excited to hear Blue Floyd's new album. <laughs> I I am actually I I my name is actually Pink Floyd and this is the <laughs> band. Yes. Uh I think that the first paragraph of this is something that I think people need to hear because honestly John this is such a you have to send this to Stefan actually right because i think it, the first paragraph is so fucking strong i'm it not is someone, very good so here it goes i'm not someone who partakes in online communities nor do i scour message boards or read reviews of my work and i almost never read comments posted to videos on youtube <laughs> it's like those are all lies i don't think because you don't accidentally stumble and he he goes into a long time explaining that. And first off, you said something in the setup for this where you said he Ben Moody would sometimes post on this Evanescence message board. So this motherfucker says, I don't I don't look at this shit. You people are fucking losers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously, like if you don't look at message boards, you would never think to yourself, I'd like to make a statement. Where should I make it on an internet message? Like if you were a guy who hated internet message boards, you'd be like, Oh, I'll post this on my own website or I'll do an interview with Rolling Stone or revolver or whatever. You don't think to yourself like, you know, where the most fans will truly want to hear this message, the Evanescence message board, Ev board. Yeah. And also it's like, uh, um, who, okay. So here it is. Uh, I almost never read. First of all, in 2010, we already knew that you do not read the comments on YouTube. Yes, I mean, of back course. then, it was fucking crazy, and it was like a joke everywhere that, like, you're going to see the N-word if you look at the comments on YouTube, but they're crazy over there. Yes. But um, I couldn't help but notice that there have been... A, oh, no. Okay. No, so you got to get into the, the previous sentence is so funny. Yeah, he says, uh, uh, however... I, I never read comments posted to videos on YouTube. However, however, I was showing a friend the video for We Are the Fallen's <laughs> introductory single. <laughs> you, aren't the, don't, you don't have to lie, Ben. You don't fucking have to lie, dude. Just say you can't. I, help I never look comments. at the YouTube comments, but I was showing a friend and I just happened to see all of these comments. And it made me feel like, you know what? I should write a 2000 word essay on this. <gasps> Right. I, you know what, John, I very, and I say that I, I don't know how many times I've said this. I never name search. I have never done it. I'm never going to fucking do it, 
because I can't handle seeing that. Sure. And it would never occur to me to do that as like, I, I really have never done it. I don't know if people are saying stuff about me, which I'm sure some people are probably saying stuff about me. Like, so you can't accidentally do that. That is very no. hard to accidentally find 4,000 comments. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I read all 4,100 comments and 4,000 of them were about Evanescence. Yeah, I couldn't. Curiosity got the better of me and I couldn't help but find out what in the world about a music video could merit months of thousands of individual comments of discussion. I wonder what the one that he saw that made him write this letter. Was. It had. You're like, right. That's a. it's definitely oof. just one. It was definitely just one for sure. Yeah, because you, you, like that's how it happens. The, the way that people get in these fucking situations is that like they see one thing that they just can't abide. You see this thing and you're just like, I can't No, this. I will not let stand. <laughs> but I mean, what really happened here is Ben Moody was reading that fucking the real talent of Evanescence was Amy Lee. That's what he was reading over yes, and over and sure. over again. And that he is calling himself. We are the fallen is passive aggressive at, you know, that's me being charitable. That yeah. it that it's passive aggressive. It really comes off when you really think about it as aggressive aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for sure. But uh, I've never been one to give any credence to the often overly critical and unnecessarily malicious opinions of al on anonymous masses online, which is. He said he's never uh, online. How would he know that they're always critical and malicious, Brian? He, well, he never checks it. Well, he doesn't give much credence to it anyway, so it doesn't <laughs> That's true. really matter. Anyway, nor have I ever been emotionally affected any of the countless <laughs> times that criticism and malice have been directed at me. I love I that, too. I never <laughs> read the comments, and they also never make me mad. Just so you know, the comments I never read, they never make me mad or piss me off yeah. at all. So good didn't try. Me. Yeah, didn't affect me. Doesn't this affect me in the least. This guy's punching. He's probably punching holes in his wall in his in his oh. office. In 2014, yeah. you were sitting at a computer doing this stuff. Or 2010, you yeah. were very likely sitting at a computer. Well, no. Yeah. Yeah. Either Maybe. or. Laptop yeah. or computer. Yeah. I mean, he his punches. name is Ben Moody, which is also very funny to me because this yeah. whole piece is extremely moody. I would punch holes in my like he looks so mad like a guy that punches holes in his walls when he gets mad. And For it sure. sounds like he was reading things and just fucking getting crazy about it. Uh, I am. <laughs> I don't obsess about what people whom I've never met have to say about me. And I am never moved to respond, defend or even acknowledge all the countless misperceptions and inaccuracies about my life. But for some reason, I am compelled to break my silence. I have no doubt that many of you will misinterpret this as a prideful attempt at vindication. Yes. But the truth is my only hope here is to maybe possibly restore some grace and peace to something that means more to me than anyone realizes. Incredible. It's an incredible it's way to start a letter. And, and it does also really paint 
where he's going to head on this journey uh, because he often contradicts himself like very quickly after he says things like he has this entire paragraph about how he met Amy Lee and they came together in Evanescence. And he basically says like, you know, uh, it, he blames himself. I, I, you know, oh, it was all me. And, and I, you know, I should, I, I became someone I didn't want to become and, and it was totally my fault and I'm such a piece of shit. But then also it was Amy's 100% Amy's fault uh, because like, so I'll try and find an exact example. He, so he said on the night of October 22nd, 2003, everything came to a head and through my fit of rage and desperation, I put the nail in the coffin of evanescence. At that time, there was no way we would ever complete another record together. It was highly probable we wouldn't last the remainder of the tour. Neither one of us were willing to bake, were willing to back down. Every emotion I felt in manifested itself as anger. I was devastated by what we had become, and I was powerless to stop it. Uh, blah, blah, blah. And then he says, yeah, we fought dirty and Evanescence paid the price. I couldn't no. sleep. If one of us didn't leave, my one chance to leave something in this world greater than myself would be lost. Uh, but yeah, basically he says it was his fault. But then he says that it was also kind of exactly Amy's fault. He says, <laughs> not only did I give uh, Amy exactly what she wanted and Evanescence exactly what it needed, but I did everything in my power to ensure I didn't cause a single speed bump on their massive ride to worldwide success. I went <laughs> quietly and peacefully. This is one paragraph after he's like, I was angry all the time. I was fucking mad and we couldn't, it was an all out war. He literally, he describes it as an all out war. And then a paragraph later, I went quietly and peacefully. Evanescence didn't miss a single show. There was absolutely no argument over rights and ownership. I owned 50% of the trademark and property value of the, of the now very valuable brand of Evanescence. I gave it to Amy free and clear. I asked for no buyout, no negotiations, just a clean break. When resentment led to slanderous and sometimes completely false statements about me in the press, I said nothing. When the very fans I had such a deep connection through the music I helped create with decided it was mandatory to pick a side, leading to an overwhelming backlash of distaste for me, I said nothing. For seven years, I made every effort to bring no drama to Evanescence. No one, no one could have made it a smoother, more gracious, or more generous dissolution. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds smooth and gracious. I mean, it really, it does sound, <laughs> he sounds like a bad guy, even in like his own letter. He, he sounds like a yes. bad guy where he says like, um, oh, fuck, where is it at? Uh, well, there's a part that he fucking get on a plane. Never. Well, no, there is a part where he says he told her to leave the yeah. band. He, he said, you know, hey, leave the band. Evanescence doesn't need you. And it's like, buddy, yes, they do. <laughs> yeah. There's somebody else that Evanescence doesn't need. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 100%. And which, that, but that is a horrible fucking thing to say to somebody that you work with. I. I get that people say things that are mean and hurtful and stuff when they get into arguments, but I just don't, I cannot see myself feeling that way about somebody I work with. It has to be youth that made this band break up 
Yeah. Because and I he just, talks about that. He says in one part, he's like, I, and I realized like I gave up on a lottery ticket. Like I, I, everything I worked really hard for, I was getting, and I was like, basically I had the winning lottery ticket and I ripped it up. And I was also a fucking kid is what he says, which is like, yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. I, I just think like, I mean, you know, it's on Netflix right now again. So it just, it just popped in my head again, but like Metallica was able to keep it together. <laughs> you know? Yes. Like, oh, totally. Like, a lot of bands with a lot of strong personalities that dislike each other s- seem to be able to hold the band together. I guess Metallica's not really together because Jason Newstead's not in it anymore. And but still, it, it, the the point kind of stands that like, I think if they were five years older they would have been able to hold the band together. That's what's kind of probably sad about how much, because I mean, just by the way that they fought, it's such an unpolished kind of fight that happened in the very early, but the internet was like not as big as it was at the time. And from what I can read from these articles and shit like that, it seems like it got pretty nasty in public which you don't see that very much yeah yeah i mean he goes on this this is one of my favorite uh, excerpts from it as well this is in the final paragraph where he really where he starts to now he's past evanescence and he's kind of talking about the current day i uh, love this this is really good so he says uh, it has been the greatest disappointment and hurt of my life that the very people that so passionately supported my life's work, who gave me the strength to walk away, were so quick to make me the villain. And even though Amy Lee, the one you hold so dear, has told you on numerous occasions that the happiest she's ever been in the band was after my departure, you make her a victim. She has absolute empirical control of the creative direction of Evanescence for the rest of her life. I literally handed everything over without fighting for a thing. Yet all I've heard for seven years is Ben Moody is an asshole for leaving. Ben Moody is a douchebag. Ben put Amy through hell and betrayed her. I honestly thought eventually you'd all move on, but We Are the Fallen has apparently incited an uprising. Though some of you will continue to disagree and contradict this, the absolute 100% unavoidable fact of the situation is that you still have evanescence only because I was willing to leave. And I refuse to sit silent while a great number of you insist on making something that should be so wonderful and positive into this bullshit. Evanescence is bigger than that. It's bigger than Amy Lee. It's bigger than Ben Moody. It can still be something special. So many of you seem to be fighting a war that doesn't exist. Amy is happy. I am happy. Why is it that so many of you refuse to acknowledge that? Do I expect this is the best? This is the best sentence in the whole thing. Do I expect gratitude for what I've done or an apology for the resent I've been shown with absolutely no basis? No. (laughs) Do I deserve it? Absolutely. I like when you say you deserve. Yeah. You, I, hey, I deserve a little bit. I here. deserve credit. Well, and it's weird because he doesn't even say like, I deserve credit for the music. His main thing is like, I deserve credit for leaving so that Evanescence could keep going because other, because I could have just stayed and we could have just completely broken up, which is like See, such a weird fucking thing to take credit for. 
I'm fairly certain he had to have taken his 50%, right? Like he says he gave it up and didn't fight, but he probably did actually. Well, I'm sure but- he still gets 50% of like the royalties off of Fallen, which sold 18 million copies and they sure, won Grammys sure. and all that shit. Yeah. So, I mean, the guy, you know, you got to feel for, you got to feel a little bit for him, but then he's such a prick that like i you know it's like whatever i you can't really discern what amy lee really wants to say about him from any of the stuff that yeah because she read. won't talk she just won't talk about it yeah yeah but i mean he comes off after writing that piece i mean the guy you know <clears throat> and he keeps referring to evanescence like the most evanescence is bigger than me evanescence is bigger than amy lee like like he's talking about evanescence the way a guy that owns a mcdonald's franchise would talk about his mcdonald's franchise like mcdonald's (laughs) so that's another thing that i think is really uh uh odd about this guy he's just talking about the brand Totally. Well, and like Evanescence is Amy Lee. I wouldn't disc- I wouldn't be like Evanes. I love a- I love Evanescence. Don't care for Amy Lee, but I love no. Evanescence. Like no, like no one is saying that. Where like to use your analogy, you might be like you know some like fast food franchises aren't that good, right? You might be like, well, I like McDonald's, but I don't care. I don't ever go to the McDonald's on watson street because it sucks you know or whatever like no one's like ah you know evanescence is pretty sick amy lee though i don't know she's kind of like whatever she's my least favorite member of the band it's like (laughs) dude the thing is if 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 corn unplugged never happened i would think amy lee's name was evanescence that is (laughs) i didn't even know she was amy lee until i saw that i was like oh that's evanescence oh her name's amy lee what the hell yeah it's great stuff did you have anything else from the other articles that you uh that you wanted to pick out okay uh what contemporary well i like do you have any guilty pleasures yes this is from the- so this is from a q a with amy lee from rolling stone in 2004 uh written by jenny Eliskew. and yes this is easily one of the funnier things that she said go ahead i mean this is also 2004 so you yeah. gotta cut her a break here because there wasn't like this language that we yes. use now but yes. she's like do you have any guilty pleasures christina aguilera stripped had a lot of good songs it's my range so i use it to warm up a lot that i definitely feel guilty about everything she stands for is the opposite of me i see her videos and i get pissed off i feel like she's misrepresenting everything feminism is supposed to be i like i just imagining amy lee backstage mad at herself i gotta warm up to something else this is so stupid what a bad thing i'm doing it's like dirty yeah exactly why am i doing that again god damn so funny to me i love that for sure there's a little piece about what contemporary female artists she likes and Tori Amos is one of them. But I think like my favorite part is she says, but Bjork has always been my idol. 
musically, lyrically, artistically, stylistically, everything. And then I don't know why this cracked me up. And she's like, that swan dress, whatever. She liked it. People <laughs> couldn't stop making fun of her, but she didn't care. I want to be more like that. Which is kind of in a way her saying she also didn't like the swan dress, right? Like that's what's <laughs> yeah. funny about it to me. She's not like people made fun of the swan dress, but that thing kicked ass. She's like, people made fun of the swan dress, but Bjork didn't care about that. You know, like she didn't defend, she didn't go out of her way to defend Bjork, which I thought was really funny. Uh, yeah, the and other- then my last, the, the one last thing is I wanted to talk about how her and her boyfriend. Met. Yes, please. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> this is great lore. Do you and your boyfriend have like a song is the thing? And yeah. uh, she's like, that's so cheesy. But there is one song. It's Stained Epiphany. <laughs> this is so <laughs> corny. He's going to be mad, I'm telling you. When we first started to realize we were into each other, both our bands were opening for Stained last summer. We hung out a lot. One day we put on disguises and went out into the audience to watch Stained. It was getting dark and we went to the merch booth and bought each other's merch. I got a Seether t-shirt and he got an Evanescent beanie <laughs> i love that it's too beautiful. and then and then the interviewer's like aw and then she says we sat on the grass and watched stained during that song there was just <laughs> this moment it was us being together in the crowd with all of these fans of stained and us and everybody and they didn't know it was us it was so amazing to be anonymous and listen amy lee at this time they've sold 18 million records they've won two grammys she has a distinctive look I do believe people would recognize Amy Lee. Pretty well, sure she's Sean, at an, she's at a stained concert, but I'm pretty sure Sean Morgan from Seether could go wherever he wanted to without much difficulty. I don't think yeah. this was like, I don't think this was a real, uh, Ooh, I'm avoiding the paparazzi moment for him. <laughs> well, no, I think she's saying, cause it was an evanescent Seether stained concert, which yeah, is yeah. something else. That's you know? quite a bill. That's quite a bill. <laughs> that is Wow. I love it. Uh, so yeah, that was great stuff uh, all around. The Ben Moody letter, the, the the Christian record letter, two of the best letters we've ever read uh, in the history of the program. Before we move on uh, to the ending of the show, Brian, uh, we got to give this a tweet defense score. For those of you who have never listened to the show before, uh, what we do is we rate the album based on how many tweets uh, we would defend it with. If someone were to tweet us and say, hey, Evanescence has fallen sucks. Uh, how many tweets would we go in defense of it? Brian, what's your what's your score for this one? I will say seven because Whoa. I don't I, it's 48 minutes, which will always bump you up a few points with me. But also it's inoffensive to me. I I like this more than I liked uh, the Linkin Park album. Like I I think this might be of the albums that I hadn't previously heard before, this might be the most impressed I was with something nice. like this. I told you that you're going to like easy it to listen to. No, it's yeah. just easy to listen to, I right. guess. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not expecting you to go back and listen to it a bunch, but yeah. I think like you and I were texting this weekend and you're like, I'm dreading listening to this Evanescence album. I've been putting it off as long as possible. And I was like, I think you might enjoy it, especially because it does have some like heavier parts. It's got some good riffs like, you know, those are things that you like. I love riffage. 
That's yeah. one thing I'm way into. But yeah, it's good. I think it's really good. And uh, um, yeah. I think 19 year old or what would I be? 24 year old Brian would think it sucked. <laughs> He yeah. would give it a zero. But you've but, matured in the same way that Amy Lee has as a songwriter. <laughs> exactly. I, I do. I do think I'm going to hear listen to a few newer songs by him to see what the deal is, because I do imagine they're completely different. I but would think so, too. Again, I, I haven't. I can't say I know the follow up to this one, I think, was called The Open Door. And I listened to a few songs because it had the the big or sorry, any no anywhere but home. That was a live one. Yeah, the open door. And I know the lead single on that was Call Me When You're Sober, which was about uh, Sean Morgan, who she broke up with because he couldn't, uh, you know, he couldn't get off the, the oh, sauce or whatever. The Seether guy's not with her anymore. She's not no, with the no. Seether guy. No, she married like a, a guy. She like a childhood friend uh, who's a therapist, apparently from church. These are the things from I've like learned. church camp. Uh, yeah. Who knows? Maybe um, I think seven's a nice score. I'll match your score this time around for the tweet defense. I think uh, I think it's a good album. And I think the singles especially are very, very good. And uh, yeah, I enjoy this album. I, I, I it's been it, I wouldn't say it's been in my rotation forever, uh, but certainly, uh, you know, it's not going anywhere. I'll, I would listen to it again. I still I, I was surprised to find myself still really enjoying the album cuts I liked before, like Tourniquet and Going Under. Uh, we're still, you know, very good tunes. And uh, yeah, Bring Me to Life is, a, is an all-timer. They also got points for me for that letter they wrote to the Christian bookstores. Smart. Yeah, that's a great that's, tweet. That's a great tweet you can do, right? Someone's like, this yeah. album sucks. And you're like, did you hear about this letter, though? It fucking kicks ass. Yeah, I got to uh, get so that, that whole letter and then get it tattooed on me. <laughs> Oh man, that's good stuff. Uh, okay, well there you go. That's that's our. We have matching tweet defense scores. I think for the first time ever. Uh, so yeah, that's great. Uh, if you want to donate to the show, you can do so at Patreon.com/slash the POD Cast with a K, like the band Corn. It's only four dollars a month. We do three bonus episodes every month on there. Uh, this past month, we just did uh, take a bite out of rhyme, which is a a classic. It's a bunch of new metal bands doing hip hop covers. And we had Max Collins, the lead singer from Eve six on the show with us. And it was an absolute blast. So you can check that out. And then we released two singles episodes, two shorter episodes every month as well. We got another great uh, review coming up this month. And we always have guests on the bonus episodes, super fun stuff. You can check that all out over there. Uh, you can also follow the show on Twitter at the POD underscore cast. Uh, it's always great to follow us there because you get to vote in the polls. You get to vote on who won the challenges and we're going to get to both those segments right now. Uh, Brian, you are officially dominating me in the challenges right now. You are, you've won again. You won again. Uh, the, the challenge last month was to create a new title about your own life based on kid rocks song title, black chick, white guy. Uh, and you won that. So you're now actually ahead of me. You have 11 wins. I have 10 and we have one tie. Uh, you've won five months in a row. I'm starting to feel a little bit embarrassed here. Um, so for those of you who are new to the show, what we do every month is we have a challenge based on uh, something that happened uh, with this album or something related to this band. And this month, Brian and I decided that we are both quitting the POD cast and uh, it's now five years in the future. And we have written a letter uh, to our fans in the style of Ben Moody's letter uh, to let everybody know the real scoop about what happened with the POD cast. Brian, you want to go first? 
Yeah, sure. Okay. All right. Here we go. The Patreon people get a little extra out of this too. Because okay. you got some references the, uh, in there. The take a bite out of rhyme okay. episode. I like that. Here we go. Let me start this out by letting you know that you don't know anything about the creation of the POD cast. The original idea was conceived of by me and John separately in 1997, and we waited to launch it until podcasts were invented. We started this venture in order to profess our love of new metal. And then as soon as we start, he tells me, I don't like system of a down. I found that offensive, but I let it slide. And then he claimed that dope is one of the greats. I can't have my name attached to a show that says I like dope more than system of a down. I brought this to John's attention and he told me that he didn't care what I thought. And the dope is also better than corn. This was the final straw. This show was supposed to celebrate a great time for music when bands that sound similar like Crazy Town and Limp Biscuit could be celebrated. But he told me to kick rocks, so I've officially decided to kick rocks and start my own new metal podcast with another with another Canadian named John that is totally unrelated to John <laughs> Cullen. That's very good. I like that a lot. Uh that was solid. Uh okay. Um so uh, here's mine. Uh, and you might find uh, some similarities to Ben's letter here. Uh, my name is John Cullen. I am a founding and former member of the POD cast. I am someone who partakes in many online communities. And in fact, at least several ex-girlfriends have referred to me as, quote, terminally online. As such, I am making the statement to you mere minutes after the announcement came down that the POD cast has ended. I'm not going to sugarcoat things. Brian's incessant walking has become a problem. I don't know how many of you out there have a podcast with someone who walks between 10 and 20 miles a day, but it is not easy knowing that every time you are typing to a guy that he could just be downtown walking in traffic without a care in the world. It's unsettling when that same guy then tells you he wants to start a web series where he reveals to the world, the various places around Columbus, Ohio that he pisses. It was a line too far. When I first met Brian, I did not think we were soulmates. In fact, it's hard to imagine two more different people coming together to make a show. Brian smokes, does drugs, outwardly mocks the government, and has confessed to committing multiple crimes. I do not do any of those things because I am a better person than him. Sometimes <laughs> these inequalities make a great podcast. In this case, it was a mere attempt at exploiting people's greater sense for nostalgia and with no focus on making a good project whatsoever. People might accuse me of being the one to end the podcast, and they would be right. I told Brian I would never get on a plane to Columbus, and I've told management myself that this will be the last time I speak on the podcast. I've given Brian 100% control of the name, the POD cast, because I am acutely aware he won't have any interest in starting the project on his own, since it is not about shock jocks or hedonism too, the sex resort in Jamaica that he frequents. The POD cast is bigger than us. It's bigger than John Cullen, and it's bigger than Brian Quinby. We both have our own projects, me with Block Party and him with Street Fight, and you can simply enjoy both without imagining that there's a conflict between us. We are both happy. Or by you can use also this very real conflict that I have explained just now. Sincerely, John. <laughs> it is hard to tell. I mean, most people will tell you that my walking is a huge problem. <laughs> It's actually couldn't be less of a problem for me, but it sounded funny to put in a letter. Uh, it is. So, yeah, there you go. You can vote on the challenge uh, every month uh, on our on our Twitter. 
And uh, what you can also do on our Twitter, for those of you who are new to the show, every month, Brian and I usually nominate two albums each to go up in a poll, and we allow you, the listeners, to decide uh, which album we review next month. This month, we're doing things a little bit differently uh, because we realized we woke up, we realized we're on episode 23, and we have not covered uh, basically the founding band of new metal, Corn. We have not covered a Corn album since episode two. So it has been almost two years of episodes since we've covered corn. So we thought we got to get a corn episode back on the show. We spent some time with lesser bands like Flyleaf and Evanescence. It's time to, to really go back to the greats. And so the four albums that will be going up in the poll this month are corns four albums that follow their debut album, which we reviewed all the way back on episode two. So the four albums going up in the poll next month will be life is peachy. Follow the leader issues and untouchables so you will have the choice there it's a real it's a real dilemma brian thinks follow the leader is going to win i'm not sure i think issues is maybe a bit of a dark horse in this race but we'll leave it up to you uh we'll leave it up to you to decide so again follow us on twitter at the pod underscore cast with a k that poll usually goes up around mid-month uh and you can vote in it and decide which corn album we review next month and of course, you can always check out all the bonus content on patreon.com slash the POD cast. We've got a lot of great stuff over there to check out. If you like the show and you just want to support us, that's a great way to do it. Or you can just tell a friend. We've had some really great, uh, we had a great listener this week with lots of followers, uh, share the podcast to all of his followers. And we got quite a few followers out of it. So that's fun. So if you like the show, tell people about it. A lot of people love new metal and they don't necessarily know that there's podcasts about it. So tell your friends. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, Thanks for being you. You guys rock. And uh, we'll see you back here next month. Bye.